I just want to jump in really quickly to ask a very important favour. We know that most of you who listen to No Bullshit Leadership haven't yet hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite podcast player. This is how the podcast grows. And even though we've already got a pretty decent global following, we're only scratching the surface of what's possible. We started this podcast over five years ago with the lofty ambition of improving the quality of leaders globally. So if you've got any benefit at all from listening to the podcast, I'd ask you to just take a moment, literally a moment, to hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite player. The world needs more no-bullshit leaders, and you can help us to make that happen. Back to the episode. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership, or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 87 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, live mentoring session number one, decision-making frameworks. We're piloting a slightly different format for today's podcast, so Em and I are really keen to hear whether or not you found it useful. The concept is to take excerpts from some of the live mentoring sessions I undertake with a range of leaders from different industries and different organisations so that I can answer their questions and hone in on some of the quite specific techniques that they might use. One of the executives I'm currently mentoring, who coincidentally is also named Emma, is a senior leader in an ASX50 listed resources company, and she's also completing her executive MBA at the moment. Emma kindly allowed me to record our last executive advisor session on decision-making, and this episode captures some of the key moments from that meeting. 
Given the current constraints in meeting face-to-face, we did this one over Zoom. So don't worry, the sound quality may be a little lower than our normal studio production, but I think we more than make up for that with the quality of Emma's questions and the way between us we managed to bring out some of the subtleties of excellence in decision-making. We cover off on a bunch of techniques to improve your decision-making process, including balancing accountability and collaboration, uh, knowing which data is valuable, and more importantly, how to know when you have enough data to move forward. We also drill down on one of the biggest failures of decision-makers generally, and that's what happens when you choose to avoid or procrastinate on your decisions. So thanks first and foremost to Emma, who is just an absolute delight to work with, for allowing us to share this piece with our No Bullshit Leadership audience. Over to you, Emma. So I don't know if you want to talk about a specific decision you had to make or if you want to talk a bit more generally, but what I'm really curious to understand is that combination of how much data you use and then how many options that you actually consider as solutions and whether you're a, like whether you're a one option guy and you like get all the data you need and just do one option or if you're actually I only need 80% of the data and I'm going to have multiple options and I'm going to be kind of flexible um, th- through that kind of that process. So I'm kind of keen to explore um, yeah. is there one one big decision you want to kind of talk through in that context or have you have you got a philosophy where you say in this context I think about it like this or in this context I think about it like this? Yeah, um, uh, the an- the answer to that last question is no. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's exactly the same process regardless of context, except that of course your the amount of time and energy and governance you put around it depends on the criticality of the decision and how big uh, an impact it have its materiality. Yeah, okay. But I want, to step, I want to step back a little bit because I want to run through quickly. Um, I have uh, as one of my seven pillars of high-performance leadership, which will turn up in both the book and it's in the online program, mm-hmm. um, is about making great decisions. Yep. And so, and so I actually pull this apart from a, um, I don't go into models, but I do go very strongly into um, how to actually improve the decision-making process. Yeah, okay. Now, the number, the number one thing is that, uh, and, and you won't find this in any of your models, the number one thing is the decision has to be made by the right person. Yeah, okay. One of, the, one of the problems that we have most frequently is that the decision-making rights aren't clearly assigned. Mm. And so you're not, you're not 100% sure who gets the rights to make the decision and therefore who's making the call on um, consultation, involvement, how much data is enough data, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the very, very first thing. And I've got, a, I've got as part of that module, I've got a list of what makes a great decision. Yeah, what, cool. what are the things that actually make a great decision at the end of the day? Awesome. So the number, number one thing about a great decision is it's got to be made at the right level by the accountable person. So you've got to be pushing decisions down to the lowest sensible point in the organisation where they're closest to the action. Not so far that they haven't got perspective or that it's above their pay grade, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Many decisions um, uh, that should be made at lower levels are made too high in the organisation. That's the first thing. So get the accountability structures right first. Now, in terms of empowerment and empowering the accountable person, they have to have their decision rights unfettered. You can't tread across their decision rights from above. So you can't be telling them what to do or suggesting they take a certain course of action or whatever else because then you dilute their accountability and that changes the whole execution model. Mm -hmm. Very, very important. That's why you don't find that stuff in decision-making models. They, 
they make assumptions about that um, or they don't understand that that's one of the biggest things that, that, that hobbles your decisions. Yeah, it's really second interesting. Thing is, second thing is speed over accuracy every day mm. and twice on Sunday. Yeah, okay. Always speed over accuracy. The, the most common thing that I see um, that uh, sub-optimizes decisions is that they are too slow. Yep. And and the you reach the point of diminishing returns much faster than you might imagine uh, when it comes to decision-making. So uh, I've got a whole decision-making process for um, tracking your decisions. When did this decision hit my desk? How long have I had it for? What am I waiting for before I make that decision? Um, how am I... Um, how am I gathering data? What data am I waiting for? Will that data ever turn up? Yeah. What's the downside if I move quickly? Um, what's the worst that can happen? Like what, what's the what's the bottom end downside if I move fast? Because um, I'm I'm in the camp of make decisions quickly, adjust as you go. Yep. Everything, even if yep. it's a big decision. Yeah. Wow. It's a really big awesome. It's a really big decision. You just need a bit more governance around it, and you need to be a little bit more careful. But you can still do that quickly. Um, who you bring into the decision, once again, is key. And most organisations that I've been in, at least, tend to over-collaborate. Yeah, interesting. And, and they get too many people in the decision-making frame who don't add enough value. Everyone wants to have a say, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the thing about decisions is I like to say everyone, everyone gets their say, not everyone gets their way. Uh, yep. And so you've got to, that real clarity of who's making the decision. They've got to be able to do that quickly. But what, um, what you find is particularly terrible in engineering industries um, where you'll have, <clears throat> I don't know, 15 people in a room, 14 people think that something's a good idea. Number 15 just happens to be an opinion leader who's very, very experienced and well-respected. And they say, no, I don't think that's right. And yep. all of a sudden, they, they've exercised a de facto power of veto mm -hmm. over the decision maker. So you end up with this this nasty little thing that I like to call management by consensus or decision-making by consensus, management by committee, lots and lots of meetings, um, not necessarily the outcomes you want. And everyone is afraid of making mistakes in decisions. So, and that's a cultural thing as well, but they, they tend to um, procrastinate and prolong their decisions because they're afraid of being wrong. And when they do make a decision, they like to have buy-in from above. Do you think this is the right decision, Marty? Well, this angle, this is your call. It's your accountability. Make the call. Um, and, you know, occasionally it'll be a case of, look, I think about this aspect as well, which you may not have thought about yet, but, you know, really, like, keep moving. Make a call. Like, you're closer to it than I am. I can't, I can't second guess what you're doing because you're the one who's been in the process. Mm. So, um, so, so strong consultation quickly uh, without letting that degenerate into decision-making by consensus because that's the biggest danger of that. Speed over accuracy, decisions made in the right place for the right reasons, and then making sure that you consider all of the data that you have available to you without being unrealistic enough to think that you're going to get perfect data because it will never happen. Yeah. So the point of diminishing returns comes really fast. One of the most difficult things in uh, to, to increase the quality of decisions is to get people to express their viewpoints and debate them uh, in a robust way. Because uh, people don't like doing that. Yeah. And and because of the um, natural conflict aversion that most people have, they're not going to want to step into a space of conflict. And so it's very difficult that you'll get to get um, everyone's um, uh, everyone's genuine opinions on the table and debated properly. So 
the biggest thing to increase the quality of decisions, apart from the data, is to actually get people to participate. Yeah. And as you were saying earlier, that's more difficult with um, uh, with the technology over Zoom as it, as it is to having people in a room where you can now have much more of a free flowing conversation. Um, yep. But yeah, so and this is this is my big thing on diversity, right? Um, diversity is fun and interesting, and there are a lot of really good moral reasons why we need to push for more diversity everywhere. Um, but as um, uh, they talk about the value to business, well, the value to business is only valuable if you can liberate that diversity. Yep. So in other words, if you can lead people to actually get them to bring forward those different perspectives and experiences and worldviews and filters, because that's what makes a better decision when you wrestle with those differences. So you're so you kind of think about it in that time frame, right? You you get presented with a problem or a, a choice, right? So you've gone through your process, you've got a choice to make the choice you just make it as soon as you can. You are your bias is to absolutely make that call as soon as possible. Yeah, I've got I've got a bias to action for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, what, one of the things that makes you make it a hell of a lot easier too is to work out um, what is actually a, um, a you know a germane point to consider and what's just noise. Yeah. Because there's going to be a lot of noise in your decisions that you can just strip out straight away. And once you once you narrow the field, you say, okay, well, that's this this bit over here that we're talking about. That's fun and interesting, but that's a lower order consideration for us. Here's here's the two or three big things that are going to make the difference in this decision as to where we go and you know what the outcome is. These fifty things here, forget about them. They're fun and interesting to talk about, but let's save that for a bottle of red because you know ultimately that's not the thing that's going to make the decision good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people spend too much time throwing stuff onto the table to talk about and factor into a decision, which makes it too complex because decisions shouldn't be that complex normally. It's good to look at a problem from every angle, but it's also very important to realise the relative um, importance of the different factors that you consider. Yeah. Uh, and once, once again, in my experience, people will put uh, an increased weight on immaterial factors if it's their hobby horse or if it's their perspective or whatever else. So you've got it in the decision-making process always be filtering based on the importance of the inputs. Not all data is the same data, right? Yeah. And so you'd always say, okay, well, what are the top three things that we actually care about here? Like yeah. you, you try or two, and... Or two, two or four, but there's only going to be a handful of things. Yeah. So you're... There'll be, there'll be a handful of things that are very important. Yeah, okay. So you're already trying to winnow down what, what that is to... And so it might be impact to the bottom line. It might be effect on safety. It might be impact on people or something. And so then you've got okay. What are those three things? How then? Let's not worry about the rest. So how do we yeah. how do we make the decision to to balance to balance those factors? Absolutely, and they'll they'll change depending on what the decision is, right? Yeah. So when um, uh, here's here's a good example: making a decision about whether or not to compensate a landholder mm. for their perceived uh, devaluation of their property um, since you build an asset next to them. Yep, uh, and in, in that you're considering a completely different set of um, set of things. So yes, there's going to be the financial impact of the settlement, but then you're looking at things like what precedent are we setting? Mm -hmm. What's the impact on a brand equity? Mm -hmm. What's the political regulatory risk? Does it risk our license to operate? You know, da da da. So you're looking at a different set of things depending on what the problem is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've had pl plenty of um, those types of <laughs> problems. They're never easy. Yeah. Well, They're never absolutely. Easy. 
it takes um, it takes a lot of um, intellectual horsepower to be able to do this on the fly. It just does. Mm. Uh, and weighing up the relative merits of different things. Uh, classic example, you know, the um, uh, the investment um, business cases I used to see at CS Energy. When I first went in there, because these were being written by engineers, they were focused on engineering things. Yeah. And they do a, a, a 70 page um, investment case uh, for an overhaul of one of the units. And it came to me and I go, okay, well, this here's 70 pages of stuff, which is nice, but um, it doesn't actually address the three questions I want to answer before I make a decision on the investment. It doesn't address this, doesn't address this, doesn't address this. So until you can actually address those things, I can't make a decision. Mm. So you haven't given me the things I need to make a decision on this request. And that's a, that's that's an interesting thing because then you're telling people that the, the thing that they've used all their lives to justify expenditure, which is volumes of engineering analysis, yeah. has no bearing on a commercial decision that I want to make about what the right level of investment is into an asset. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. So was there any decision then that you made where these principles didn't serve you well or there was some aspect to that that you, you wish you'd done a bit differently or have you found these just, this, these are the tried and true principles that you've found to, to work every time? Um, I think it's, I, I describe it slightly differently from that, Emma. So, yeah. so this, this now is the, this is the, the end of my, of my learning to date. Yeah. Okay. Where I, where I sort of distilled and said, this is what works. And in getting to there, it's seeing all of the things that haven't worked in different decision-making processes where I've gone, yeah, okay, I need to do that differently. Or I got blindsided here, or this was, you know, I should have paid more attention to that. Uh, and this is this is the having gone through that. Um, you now we talk about the simplicity on the other side of complexity. Yeah. Having gone through all of that learning in so many different contexts and situations, I've I've worked out how important speed is. Yeah. Like you know, uh, you know, five years ago I might not have said you know speed over accuracy every day and twice on Sundays, but now I say that confidently because I've seen the the varying uh, implications of slow decisions, fast decisions, medium decisions, you know, what happens when people procrastinate. The higher up you get into an organisation, the more a delayed decision impacts um, the whole business because, uh, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm the CEO mm. and I'm procrastinating, procrastinating on a core decision, then all of these subordinate decisions at different layers in the organisation can't be made. Well, I can't decide this because I don't know that. And so, and so it's, you've got this multiplier effect the higher up you get. So yeah. as I've got higher and higher up, I realised how debilitating slow decision-making is. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting because I think in some ways I have a bias to action, but in others I definitely, um, I definitely deliberate. And I, I would say that there's definitely been, um, I can think of several circumstances where I've been guilty of holding people up below me because I haven't, um, I've, for whatever reason, I've, I've delayed making a decision. Um, and I think that's, that's a really insightful point about, yeah, the, the higher up you get, the more impact you have below you with, with slow decision making. I, I think, I think what I see though, is that this is in like one of those models, it's like less info, but more than, more than one plan and super flexible. So that is, 
that's a quadrant on this kind of Brousseau model. And obviously you've got a whole bunch of other kind of considerations that kind of sit in that. But there is, there is some, I can see a little bit of alignment. It seems like you've got what they call a flexible um, in their model. This is a flexible decision making in that you are, you don't need all the info, but you're, but when you get more information, you'll you'll change paths and you'll be you'll be flexible in in whatever that um, or agile in whatever that kind of um, approach yeah. is. But there's obviously a whole bunch of other elements that are that or yeah elements to your decision making process. Here's a here's a, here's an extremely important but subtle point yeah. that is really worth you thinking about. Mm-hmm. When you talk about this moving with less information, being more flexible or waiting for more information and so forth, that's all okay, but it presupposes that the, the information you're getting is of equal value. Yeah. It's not. And it's absolutely not. And the, the, the trick to being a really good decision maker and the trick to being a really good leader is to be able to improve the quality of information you've got to deal with, and so that the model of um, the model of be flexible, move quickly, use less data, that's extraordinarily dangerous if the quality of your data isn't good. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so, part of the, the one of the most important things is is working to know how to make better quality data available. And as I said, that's through you know, liberating people's views um, and their diverse perspectives by being able to elicit from them the safety and confidence to give you what they think and to, and to have the culture of, um, you know, no blame, um, no blame, no excuses, where you can actually get people to come out and confidently debate something and not be afraid to put their view on the table to feel as though they're not safe to do so. So that the subtlety here is you've got to be able to... Um, to run the lean model, but with much higher quality information than anyone would normally get at their disposal because you are able to draw that stuff out from people and you are able to distinguish between the material um, uh, data as opposed to the less material data. Yeah, it's it's cool. all about making those judgments and that's the subtlety. That's what doesn't get captured in those models. Because um, it sort of, you know, treats, treats it all as the same, you know? Yeah, the data, perfect. The data is not the data in every, in every quadrant. Yeah, cool. Yeah, you're blowing my mind, Marty. <laughs> well, good, good. Uh, it's awesome. Thank you some value. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, because I think about, I mean, obviously, you make decisions all day, right? Um, mm. And I, I haven't actually spent a lot of time really thinking about my decision-making process. Um, again, you know, I've said I'm quite an intuitive person, so I kind of intuit that the way I'm doing it is is good or fine or whatever it is, whatever language I want to use before I've had my second coffee. But um, I, I'd love, I love this idea of coming up with a bit of a, my own personal framework and how I think about this and how, how I can be more intentional about the way I make decisions and more aware of when I am not making a decision and, and, and why. Because I think, if I think about it, I think the reason I don't make decisions is because I'm afraid of making the wrong decision, but I'm not acknowledging that fear. And if I was more open and aware of that that fear and, and then kind of address that 
in whatever way, I don't think I'd be so, in those circumstances, so hamstrung. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's, it's natural for all of us, even me, to, to, to rationalise that so that it doesn't feel like fear. It feels like diligence and... Yeah, exactly. That's a really so, good, yeah, that's I, a really good yeah, insight. I need, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of making a mistake. I'm just making sure I have good data. Yeah. And then, and that's gold. like you said, you, gold, you, Marty. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the awareness is everything, right? Yeah. So what I find really interesting is um, how much more I am just becoming so aware of the fact that I am um, like a lot of my behaviour is driven by fear. I would never. Without having done this MBA, I just would be totally, I'd still be blind to that emotion that, that I mean, it doesn't dominate, but that really does have an impact on, on the way that I show up, on the way that I make decisions. It's, it's like, like fear just runs through. <laughs> it's, it's a bit, anyway, it's a bit challenging to have that recognition, but I'm, I'm, genuinely surprised how much that influences me and my decision make oh just the the way i show up yeah yeah it's pretty much pretty much everyone pretty yeah. much everyone but, but you've got awareness now right and that's that's how you change yeah it's and it's it's amazing it is it is honestly like fear and shame and all those like just core emotions they sit at the base of everything once you kind of drill down into it and the more that you can just be comfortable with those emotions or work out how to, um, well, I guess it is. You just have to be become comfortable with it but not operate in, in um, you can operate in, with, in existence with them but not operate being driven by them, I guess, is what I'm saying. Because you can't, yeah, I, I, don't think, yeah, I don't think you can get rid yeah. of those emotions and I don't think you should. But how That's do you... Exactly. Yeah, but how do you how do you operate with them as opposed to being operated by them? Yeah, spot on, spot on. Couldn't agree more. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode eighty-seven. And once again, thanks very much to Emma. Now, given the change up in format, please let us know if you'd like to hear more from some of my live mentoring sessions. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, at your CEO mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please take a few minutes to rate and review the podcast on your favourite podcast player, as this is what enables us to reach even more leaders. I look forward to next week's episode, Leading from the Front. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. Leader.